what's the support that they need, but what's the challenge that they can rise to? And how are we delivering that to each individual person, as well as to each team, to the organization overall? And we call that liberating leadership and how we're calling us all up into that every day. Hey, it's David, and you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul, your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. Hey, welcome to the show. Uh, Before I introduce our guest today, just want to thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the podcast and for your reviews. I just found out uh, not only are we one of the top 13 leadership podcasts in the world, but also we are one of the top 10% podcasts overall globally of all podcasts. And that is thanks to you and all that you're doing uh, to invest in your own leadership and also share that word with others. So if you haven't shared the show with someone else or you haven't left a review, please go and do that. It does make a difference. All right, our guest today is Amy Piles, president at Saxum, an integrated digital agency obsessed for good. And that word, that motto, obsessed for good, has a deeper meaning. We're going to get into that today. Throughout her career, Amy has worked with brands such as Walmart, Gathering Place, Walton Family Foundation, Procter & Gamble, and Anheuser-Busch to create and deliver campaigns and marketing programs that create meaningful connections between brands and audiences. And she's here today to share some of her expertise, approach to leadership, and tell us a little bit about what obsessed for good actually means. Amy, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Well, it's uh, our pleasure to have you here. So listen, uh, before we get going and learn more about your work, obsessed for good, everything else, to uh, get to know a little bit more about you, I'd like to ask you to take us back as far as you want to go to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Mm, it's a good question. You know, for me, I think leadership really started um, when I left college. I think kind of getting out of some of that that childhoodness um, opened up new doors and just new ways of of thinking and approaching things. And I left my undergrad and went straight into a graduate program um, via a fellowship, actually at the Soderquist Center for Leadership and Ethics. So I got thrown into some really great um, leadership training right away coming out of college. And so that's when I started identifying myself as thinking about leadership. And that's when you started thinking about leadership and and seeing yourself that way. It's an interesting question that uh, identity transformation that happens when we start to think of ourselves as a particular thing. Uh, I've been thinking about this recently. I just ran my first ultra marathon uh, two weeks ago, and I still don't think of myself as a runner. And, you know, it's one of those things like, when do you start to think about yourself as a leader? So for you, that entry out of college into adulthood, some intense training, and that's when it started for you. Absolutely. You know, it's, Part of when you see yourself, but also when somebody else affirms it for you and builds that into you and says, you can be this, you are this, um, having those two together really started to change the way I saw myself and what I wanted for my career. Yeah, I get it. So you are uh, a marketing expert. You're running a marketing agency uh, organization here. So tell us a little bit about the work that Saxon does and uh, your approach philosophy. So what is the work and what's the philosophy behind it? Absolutely. So we are an integrated marketing and communications agency, which means we offer a full suite of services across all of the communication spectrum. So we're working on a lot of different types of work every day with a lot of different clients. 
but we are really driven by working with clients that are making meaningful and measurable change in the world. And so whatever they're doing through their business, through a nonprofit, we work a lot with causes and nonprofits, or even in the political affairs spectrum, um, working with clients that are trying to do something and do good in the world and um, have a brand and a legacy that leaves more behind. Those are the type of clients that we're working with and what really gets us excited and the type of work we like to do. All right. So you're helping support people who are making a difference in the world. Love it. Love it. Okay. So if anyone's looking for those kinds of services, when you say full service integrated, give us the spectrum, the range, what, all, what all do you do? Yes, we do everything from um, public relations, so your messaging, your earned media, your thought leadership. We do digital marketing from email to web to social media um, to innovation within that area. And we have a full creative team as well that's doing advertising and campaigns and brand strategy for clients. And we also then do research. So where does my brand stand in the market? What do my audience care about? All of those services um, we offer. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks for sharing that with us. Helpful to know exactly what you do as we get into to talking about leadership and, and some of your philosophy underneath that. So your motto for Saxon is obsessed for good, right? Yes. What does, I mean, so we can say, okay, obsessed is a strong word. What do you mm -hmm. mean by that? Absolutely. You know, it is something that came out of our DNA. We didn't launch the company with that motto and mantra. It's something that surfaced as a truth for how we were already operating and allowed us to articulate um, the type of work and the type of clients that drive us forward and what we think about, what we're going after and chasing. So we're always thinking about and weighing, is this work that we're doing um, in alignment with our tenants of obsessed for good and how is it matching up from internally how we treat each other to the type of work we're doing with our clients all of that comes together and that's really where that obsession comes to the surface so the obsessed for good becomes what i'm hearing is it becomes a north star for the decisions that you're making about everything from who you're going to work with how you're going to work with them the internal decisions that you're making uh, around the work that you're doing. And then I've got to imagine it has to flow into how you work with one another too. Absolutely. So we think not just about yeah, the work of our clients, but how are we partnering together and how are we treating each other and um, how are we liberating one another within our organization? So it's not just yeah, the type of work we do. And we don't even just work with you know nonprofits or cause-oriented companies because we believe that profit and purpose can be married together. Um, and we see that in our own company as well as with the companies that we're working with. Oh, something we have in common, absolutely. <laughs> we love working with uh, businesses that have leaders who are or want to be more human-centered in their approach to, yes, the business results, but how we're going about doing it is so important. So I think uh, everyone listening to the show right now uh, is uh, on the same page sympathetic, empathetically with you in terms of that uh, commitment to good. So let's talk about how obsession for good, obsessed for good, how does that flow through into your business practices, into your leadership management? Uh, you mentioned the liberation, liberating mm -hmm. one another and how you're treating each other. I'd like to get into that in a little more detail if we could. Yeah, absolutely. So we have five tenets of Obsessed for Good, and we help brands with these, but they also apply to our own business. Um, so the first tenet of Obsessed for Good is 
think um, all stakeholders, not just shareholders. So with any brand, how are you thinking about everybody that you're impacting, not just the bottom line shareholders? So this is your employees. This is the communities that you operate in. Um, it is everything from regulators even, and depending upon your business. So we're thinking through that whole spectrum in stakeholders, not just shareholders. Um, we think that good brands take a stand on things that matter to their audiences and to their people. Now we marry that with the hardest one, which is our third tenet, and that is unite, don't divide. You know, we are in a very polarizing um, climate right now in America, and I don't think we need brands and marketers making that divide any bigger. And so how you balance that taking a stand on things that matter in a way that unites and doesn't divide people is one of those tenets we have. Um, then we have liberate your leaders. So we firmly believe that your internal culture is um, critical to your brand, to your marketing strategy, and just to the type of company that you operate. And we think about that at the leadership level of how are you having liberated leaders? And we actually have a partner that helps us go through that with Giant Worldwide. And then the last one is focus on impact. So not just that bottom line, but what is your entire impact? And what's that legacy that your brand is leaving? And how are you spreading that impact internally and externally? Um, through your giving, through your business practices, through how you treat your employees. All of these are opportunities to make an impact. So all five of those come together um, as our tenants of Obsessed for Good. And we have focus on all of those and how we do business. And again, how we help brands think through those within their own brand. Oh, these are so powerful. I love them. So we've got uh, number one, think all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Number two, take a stand. Number three, unite, don't divide. Number four, liberate your leaders. And number five, focus on impact. Do I have those right? You got them. Okay, perfect. So let's take a little bit deeper dive then. Let's just start with number one. Think all stakeholders, not just shareholders. I love that. And I love the way that you included regulators in that. You know, <laughs> it just as an example of there are so many different stakeholder groups and people who are work influences or whom we are influenced by that we don't always think of. Mm -hmm. And that's a human being. And what I'm what I'm hearing in, in these tenants is the humanity coming through all of it. So I am curious if you have a process or a way that internally, how, how do you think all stakeholders, not just shareholders? Yeah. How do you so force we, yourself or filter through that? Absolutely. We work with um, a lot of really large projects where um, change or uh, maybe economic development is being done in an area that's very localized and it very much impacts me in my day-to-day -day life. And so when we think through those type of projects, let's say there's a big park that's being built in a new city. Well, that could have disruption to traffic flow for a while. It has some um, possible tax questions that people are wondering, are my tax dollars paying for that? Or is it a private donation? How is that going to work? So you have very community-driven um, financial questions. And then how is this um, development going to serve me and serve my family? And maybe it's right behind me. Do I want that near me? Um, maybe it is part of economic development for that entire city and it's going to attract tourists. Um, so you have a lot of different components when you're developing something or um, disrupting something, even if it's a great disruption, there's a lot of different people that you need to be communicating with and building together with. So we help um, projects, brands, whatever it is, identify all of those different 
different facets so that we can make sure we have the right strategies to engage them so that it doesn't feel like it's always happening to people, but they can be part of that process and to have really open dialogue and conversation. Because you're right, these are human beings. This is their home. This is where they live. It's their community that they're very passionate about. And we want to help build that bridge between companies or foundations that are investing in an area so that whatever is done is done together. And so, uh, Amy, as you're talking, I'm, you know, you're, you're talking about at a, a real macro level with an organization or a groups of, of folks who are coming together to do things and to really think about who all is impacted by the project, the initiative and what have you. And as you're using the words, I'm translating it and thinking, gosh, any leader listening can run their thing, their decisions and their work through the exact same filter because the, the person in that other department who, yes, is a human being, but that's where they live. That's their community. That's their day-to-day -day life. And so what is the impact? What are we not thinking about? And it doesn't mean what I'm, what I'm hearing you say is it's not that we're going to be able to always uh, satisfy everyone with everything, but are we communicating? Are we engaging? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, great communication solves so many voids. And so just being able to be clear with all of your different stakeholders and understand and recognize that they are a stakeholder, um, that alone builds trust. And so how we do that, you're right, whether it is a big project or inside of a company, everybody's seeing a change or something as to how does it impact me? And to know that you've been thought about and communicated with immediately builds a bridge. I am wondering, as you're talking about stakeholders, Amy, are there, or let me ask it this way, in the work that you do, are there particular stakeholders that are more often not thought about, I don't want to say ignored necessarily, but maybe don't come into people's frame of reference as quickly as some others? Like, who are some of the stakeholders that we should be thinking about that maybe we don't always think about? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think it really depends on each individual project and circumstance, but it's usually the stakeholders that are a few levels removed down the supply chain or um, tangentially impacted. Um, so it could be suppliers. Are they thought about within here um, or a supplier to a supplier? Um, I think that there's a lot of those that are, again, maybe not the immediate stakeholder, but the stakeholder stakeholder um, that is further down that don't often get thought about when you're doing different projects like that. Mm, okay. So being really thinking several layers mm -hmm. or levels down or maybe uh, concentric circles outflowing, depending whatever the right metaphor or initiative is that we're, that we're working on here. Okay. So we've been talking about uh, thinking all stakeholders, not just shareholders. And it's not that we're not thinking shareholders because we always have the, the business component of whatever it is that we're doing, but including everybody in our thinking and making sure that we're having the communication and engagement we need to, uh, to keep people informed, get their perspective. Sometimes they're going to have something to share with us that improves the project or the outcome that we had never even thought about. Absolutely. Um, I'm wondering if you have any uh, uh, examples like that in some of the work that you've done where maybe you had to encourage somebody to think more broadly about who they were engaging and then it had a tremendously positive impact. Yeah. Oh, another good question. I'm trying to think of an example of that. Um, I don't know if it goes quite in the direction you're going, but I will say we do work some with routing companies 
Um, so think about putting uh, maybe a utility route in or something like that. And as we work with those brands to engage the community, sometimes the community thinks, well, my voice will never be heard. Like, why would I even speak up? Sure. But we work with really great brands that do care and do want to hear it. And um, simple ask of, you know, that runs through this part of my property. And is there a way to just shift it a little bit over that doesn't have a big economic impact on the client, but it has a huge win with your landowner? Um, we've had situations like that where you just facilitate the conversation up front and you can reroute an entire, you know, utility line just by having some clear communication between everybody. And so I think it's often you think the voice won't matter, but it absolutely does. And when you have great brands that want to hear it, it can be really powerful. Just opening the door to the conversation and making room for those questions and those opportunities for people to learn what's happening, but then also to ask their questions, make a tremendous difference. All right, we're here talking with Amy Pyle. She's the CEO of Saxon Marketing Agency, that, whose motto is Obsessed for Good. And we've been talking about some of the tenants uh, that uh, Saxon and Amy are really dedicated to when they're talking about obsessed for good. We've been talking about thinking all stakeholders, not just shareholders. Uh, let's dive into, how about number three, unite, don't divide. Because I think number two, take a stand. We can kind of wrap our head around that. I know what my principles are and I may be better or not as good as at taking a stand for those things, but uniting and not dividing. And this is one that I am, I am so passionate about. And absolutely. And in the world we're in, as you said in the introduction, I mean, it's it's more challenging right now to be a yeah. uniter, not a divider. So I'm curious, once again, from your perspective, what do you find are some of the practical ways that anyone listening to the show today, I want to be a uniter, not a divider, and I want to commit to that principle. How can I go about that? Yeah. First, I will say it's not easy. It is much easier to be divisive. That's the easy route. Um, but seeking to unite people together with diverse opinions, sometimes polar opposite opinions, and bring them to the table for conversation always gets to a better result and better humanity of people working together. So we work quite a bit um, here in Oklahoma City where I'm located. Um, we work a lot in some of the political affairs um, work here on some really important issues like criminal justice reform. And you can imagine that there are a lot of opinions and a lot of different opinions around some issues like that. And one of the things that we work um, with organizations on is how do we convene people from both sides of the aisle with different opinions, different um, perspectives and bring them together into a room to write policy together or to help influence the policy and help influence how we are communicating um, with people. And so just bringing those people together um, and having a convening of different um, viewpoints helps move us forward. And we've been able to make big progress um, here in Oklahoma City around female incarceration to start to reduce that number um, more and more. And so we did that not by coming out and calling out names with any of the organizations we work with or taking a, a firm and unmovable stance that it could only be a certain way. We did that by helping to bring together different voices um, and reach out to the general public in different ways that resonate um, in a more authentic way than something so polarizing. I love that so much. 
Uh, and I love the hope and optimism and experience that you're bringing to the t conversation here that says it is possible. So I'm curious, I want to think on behalf of our listeners who are maybe in some leadership roles, maybe they're in a middle level or senior leadership role. And, and in their organization, they've got some division, they've got, you know, the product Absolutely. people are looking this way, the engineering people are looking this way, and the sales people are looking that way. And oh, goodness, I got to bring these people together. Get, a, get people on the same page so we can get a common solution, objective uh, way forward. Are there specific approaches, ways of introducing the topic, things you say as you sit these folks down in the same room? If we get really practical, tactical in terms of trying to bring people with different perspectives to the table to make forward progress together, is there anything you found that's particularly helpful? I think starting with agreeing on what the problem is um, and it, you've got to strip away some of the language that people will use and get it down to its core of what an issue is. If you can strip things away and get to a common problem that everybody agrees, this is the issue. Um, then you can all get on the same side of how are we solving this issue? And that's where we'll have disagreement over the tactics and the ways that we solve a problem. Um, but if we can all keep remembering that we're trying to solve this one thing together and keep that at the forefront, um, I think that helps. I also think, I mean, it sounds so basic, but just getting in the same room together with different people, which seems a little bit foreign um, today, um, but bringing people together in person to actually have relationship and conversation, even not about the problem, helps to remind people that, again, it's just another human being on the other side of the table here that I can get to know, I can respect, even if I disagree with something. So there are two things that that come to mind that I've seen be really successful. So rehumanizing one another by getting us in the same room, building relationship through all the, the different ways we can do that. And then centering on a common outcome that we both care about or Absolutely. that everybody in the room cares about. We can have the discussion around the how, but let's get a common outcome. And that may take some work. That's not always easy to figure out. And I thought about, you know, there's some, some really tough topics, but mm -hmm. if we keep looking and we get big enough, hopefully we can find a topic that we really do both care about that outcome. Absolutely. You know, the other thing I would say within this um, Unite, Don't Divide tenant is um, not every topic needs to be um, debated in every setting or be talked about in every setting. So I think it's also using good discernment for if you are going in to talk about a problem, what are you not talking about? What's the things that are tangential that um, this isn't the place, the time, the appropriate venue? to solve the right people to solve. So pushing some of those things out of the way helps you get to unity again around that one problem versus tangential things that will try to sneak their way in as well. Mm. Amy, I'm wishing I had known you, uh, this has been decades ago now when I was serving on the city council in a city in, <laughs> in uh, Colorado, and I was serving on a transportation committee that included stakeholders and representatives from so many different uh, government agencies, retail groups, I mean, so many different folks. And our, our, arguably, our goal was to reduce traffic on this heavily traveled stretch of road. It was the most heavily traveled stretch of road in, in the state at that time. And I remember 
at one point realizing, and I asked a question, I said, who took an alternative transportation to get here today? And I had walked because it was close enough and I didn't own a car. So no virtue, it's just what I did to get there. And then one of, there was a councilwoman from another district. She was really committed, like walking her talk and she had taken alternate transportation. So two of us out of the 30 people there had, everybody else had driven. And it occurred to me that the goal of that group was we need to reduce traffic on this road so I can drive faster. <laughs> yes. And so I put that out there. I said, look, if that's our goal, we're doomed There's no because everybody else in the city is thinking the same thing. Boy, I wish there was less traffic on that road so I could drive faster. And I, that one has stuck with me about to clarify the outcome that we're looking mm -hmm. for. And can we really come up with an outcome that, that we can agree on as, as we're having different perspectives? And I don't want to say it's impossible because it's just served as a kind of one of those quizzical things that reminds me of the challenge that we have in our humanity of digging past yes. all that stuff to hit some common bedrock. Absolutely. You must encounter similar things. Yeah, well, I think it's it's easy to sometimes get focused on the problems up here in the sky. But when it really comes down to me, it's like, well, I just want to drive faster. So, yes, I'm saying I'm solving this big thing, but everybody still has personal motivations that influence decision-making and influence um, emotion in that decision-making. And so being able to be clear on those and um, help each other out when those need to be in check or to elevate the problem to something bigger of, you know what? Yeah, I do want to drive faster on this road, but more than that, I want it to be a sustainable city that people want to come to and aren't overwhelmed by traffic. And that's a bigger idea that I can, you know, ladder up to and make it more important to me. Um, so being able to even elevate it up a little bit more and call people up into something that's more meaningful, more motivating, um, and can help keep some of those personal things in check can also help just manage through that. This is so good. We're talking with Amy Piles, uh, CEO, President at Saxum uh, Marketing Agency, Obsessed for Good. We've been talking about some of the tenets of what Obsessed for Good is all about. Things like thinking all stakeholders, not just shareholders, uh, uniting, not dividing, which is easier to say than it is to do. It's not always easy, but it's worth it. Uh, number four, your fourth tenet is liberate your leaders. And this is about internal culture and how critical that is. Uh, unpack and walk us through a little bit more. What is Liberate Your Leaders all about? Absolutely. Um, first off, we have a deep commitment to being a place that people want to work and that we are investing in the personhood and the professional growth of everybody that um, works at Saxum. And Liberate Your Leaders means that you have the right balance of support and challenge. So it's not just all support where you're protecting people and they don't have an opportunity to grow or they feel smothered. Um, and it's also not all challenge where it's dominating and um, just results only. Um, but you have that right mix of what's the support that they need, but what's the challenge that they can rise to? And how are we delivering that to each individual person, as well as to each team, to the organization overall? And we call that liberating leadership and how we're calling us all up into that every day. Mm, I love that balance between support and challenge. And 
Uh, and you know, it's an equal, it's a dynamic equilibrium, I would say, right. Whereas is, you know, one day I'm a little more supportive. Another day I might be a little more challenged, but yeah. overall I'm, I'm trying to even that out. So I've got a good uh, amount of both going on and, and that gives us the best chance to grow and thrive. Mm -hmm. And I, I know as a, a business owner, <laughs> there are some days I'm like, I just want to feel a chance to succeed here. That's all I'm asking for. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and each of us has a different stance that we naturally come into our leadership with. Some people are naturally high support and others are naturally high challenge. Most people are not naturally that perfect balance of leadership every day, every moment. Um, and so it's also about knowing yourself to lead yourself and um, adjusting for who's on the other side of you and what do they need. And that's such an important thing to call out when we're talking about human centered leadership is you have to know the human being who you're leading because people do have different needs. And also just because they've maybe been a high challenge person for the last couple of months doesn't mean this week they're not going to be a high support and that we're checking in regularly and, and finding out where people are. And that's some of the import of our consistent communication, one on ones, all, the, all that sort of thing. You know, Amy, I was uh, uh, taking a look at your uh, LinkedIn um, prior to the show before we, we got together and you uh, had posted about burnout. And I, I, I thought this was an important topic, particularly when we're talking about obsessed for good and human centered leadership and, and liberating your leaders and the kind of culture that you want to build that's going to be attractive. And so when you're talking about burnout, um, th there were three things that you shared. So I'm not expecting you remember exactly word for word what you wrote on LinkedIn five months ago, but uh, people treat your time how you let them treat your time. So own your time. Absolutely. Uh, the leader needs to model boundaries and energy management for others to feel empowered to do the same. And that's so critical. Uh, you know, the, the number of leaders who tell people, hey, you got to manage your time. No one can do it for you, but they're not modeling it themselves and what that does. And then finally, your work has to align with personal values and purpose, or you're going to get bored and burned out and, and, you know, all that sort of thing. So you get that energy drain. I want to go back up to that first one. People mm -hmm. treat your time how you let them treat your time. So own yes. that. And I want to ask you to expand on that from a couple perspectives. So one is you are, a, you know, a senior leader at this point in your career in an organization. And one of the skepticisms that people often greet those kind of pronouncements with is, well, that's easy for you to say, you're the, you're the boss, you're the big wig, you get to control your time how you want. And I know that that's not actually the case because there's so many things pulling at you and you feel that responsibility. But that is a, a, a sense that people have, perception. Whereas if I'm a, a frontline leader in an organization, I've got, you know, so many people pulling at me and scheduling meetings, and everything else, how the heck do I go about owning my time? So I want to turn it over to you and, yeah. and share with us a little bit your thoughts about this maxim of people treat your time how you let them treat your time. So own it. Yeah, I think that this is a mantra I have used more than anything in just coaching other people in my career. Um, it's something I actually adopted really early in my career because I had somebody else, you know, preach this mantra to me. And I learned very quickly that it was true. You can have boundaries while still delivering on expectations. Those are not um, mutually exclusive. And I say this from a sense of there's times when I have to give and take in kind of personal life and into work life. It's not ever 
perfectly balanced at different times, but um, I've figured out the rhythm that works for me. And that's how I manage. I manage um, how I spend my time when I'm on, when I'm on at the office or on at work time, wherever I'm working from. Um, we talk a lot about my time on, my time off, and my time in between. And my time on, I'm very focused. You know, I know that I want to get through um, things at work or tasks that I have so that I am present with my children tonight. Um, and so I always have those different goals in my mind that help me manage, again, my time and what I say yes to. Or I don't just say yes. And this is true, again, even before I was in the role that I'm in now, um, don't automatically say yes to date constraints or to different things being added to you, but you don't say no either. You can say, I can't do that yet, but here's another solution um, and still be very helpful because again, at the end of the day, the goal is the same is to get something accomplished and move a project to the end or help this person accomplish what they need your help with. Um, but the when can be negotiated, the how can be negotiated. Um, and if it can't, you have other things that can. So I think just realizing and understanding mentally and emotionally that you're not a victim of things coming at you, that it is your time, your time and your career is your asset. Um, and it's yours to maintain in how you use it. And so I think just viewing it that way has been the best thing for me is that it's mine. So I get to choose how it gets used. Love it. So taking our power into account and really empowering ourselves, recognizing we're not victims of it. We do have the ability to have those conversations and using the language that you shared with us uh, and not yet in proposing alternative solutions and, and so on. And that's something I, I think all of us need to do for our own health, wellness, and as you said, ultimately effectiveness. Now let's take the other side of that coin. As leaders, particularly more senior leaders, what can we be doing to maybe not put people in that situation as often where they're having to, you know, be negotiating and constantly pushing back against everything. Um, are there approaches that you have found in your leadership to maintain a, let's call it human friendly, emotional, physically healthy, uh, mentally healthy workplace? Oh man, we strive for it. I wouldn't say that we get it right every single day. Um, but I think, again, it just goes back to conversations with people and setting the right expectations. So we, um, you know, we rolled out a my time policy about two years ago, which is unlimited time off and a lot more flexible work environment. And we did that as a way to provide that support to our team that we can all work when we need to, but we all still have our deadlines that we've got to get. We answer to clients um, and we want to support them and we balance that by being in charge of kind of our own calendars. Um, so we start first and our entire kind of culture is built on this personal accountability for your time and your deadlines. Um, so that's a way that we give that support and challenge kind of back to them um, within that. The other way is just to ask, you know, here's what we're thinking. Can you get it done? When's a realistic deadline? What else is on your plate? Let me help you prioritize. I'd say that that's the number one question that I can help somebody with is, yes, you have those 20 things, but let me help you think through the priority of them or which of these aren't really a priority or could go to somebody else. And so just helping people, especially new leaders and rising leaders where that may be a new muscle that they're building, helping them with priorities is going to be one of the best ways that we can support our employees. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
helping people prioritize and asking permission, like, hey, can I help you prioritize here? And we can help sort that out, which, you know, on the flip side of that, like we call that in our leadership development, scheduling the finish and that it's a conversation. It's not just assigning due dates. Yes, those dates have to be, in many cases, they're not negotiable uh, or they've been negotiated and that is the due date. But in that process of looking at what else is going on and having that conversation and how are we going to resource that? Are we going to sprint here or are we going to trade off some other things? And that we have that, that conversation about scheduling the finish, so important. All right, Amy Piles, president at Saxum, uh, an integrated digital agency obsessed for good. Amy, tell us where we can connect with you, learn more about you. I know you've got an obsessed for good book that goes through these five tenets. Uh, where do we connect with you? Absolutely. If you'll visit our website at saxum.com, that's S-A-X-U-M.com. We've got a form there that you can download um, our book or we'll send you a free copy of it if anybody is interested. So you can connect with us there or you can find me at LinkedIn as Amy Piles. And that's P-Y-L-E-S and we'll get those links into the show notes. All right, Amy, before we wrap up, Tenant number five is focus on impact. So what's the legacy that your brand is leaving? And so my final question for you is, as we get to the end of our time together today is what is the legacy you want to leave? You personally, as a leader, as president at Saxum, like what is the legacy you're excited about and invested in? Absolutely. Um, you know, for me, I'm always focused on whose leadership am I impacting? And I want to be remembered as somebody that helped others rise up to their potential, um, opened doors for them, helped them improve, helped them see something bigger for themselves than maybe they originally saw. Um, that's really what I'm focused on most of all is just how am I helping others reach their potential? I love it. I, I empathize with that. It really resonate. I resonate with that so much. I, part for me, it's, you know, it's always been helping people become that best version mm -hmm. of themselves and that, that development aspect and growth aspect. I just love that. All right, Amy Piles, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. It's been a, a, a wonderful conversation. You've given us some really practical things to do here. So listeners, think all stakeholders, not just shareholders, take a stand, unite, don't divide liberate your leaders and focus on impact on the legacy you're trying to lead and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. It was great. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.